0: Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. This morning we will continue our study of 1 Peter chapter 2, focusing on verses 13 through 17. You can also find this passage on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's text. And I'll make one qualification to the statement I just made to pouring over this text for the totality of this week. Um, it is more than we can cover in the time we've been given this morning. And so this will be part one of a two-part sermon on this passage. And so we really will, we will read the, to- the whole passage, but we're really going to be looking at 13 and 14 this morning. And then, Lord willing, next week. Uh, cover uh, 15 through 17. So a two-part sermon on living as free people. If you were with us last week, um, you will remember the emphasis that Peter places in verses 11 and 12 uh, on our identity in Christ as members of his kingdom. We're called sojourners and exiles. And in fact, let's just look at that for a second. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God will be glorified in light of our good conduct even as the world ridicules us and speaks ill of us. In fact, this passage promises that they will do so. It is imperative, then, that we as Christians and ambassadors of another kingdom, of another king, that we represent the kingdom to which we belong, the kingdom of heaven, while also, in an honorable and respectable way, seek to follow the rules and customs of the kingdoms we find ourselves in as visitors, as sojourners, wanderers, or my favorite word, aliens. You know, upon finding out that the church in Milan... ...did not fast upon Saturdays, St. Augustine was given these words from St. Ambrose. When I go to Rome, I fast on Saturday, but here I do not. Do you also follow the custom of whatever church you attend if you do not want to give or receive a scandal? Wise words to which we have then twisted and mistranslated to when in Rome, which is typically our excuse to overindulge in something... Or when someone offers it, we don't give it up because, hey, when in Rome we do as the Romans do. But what um, Ambrose was trying to get at, and, and even in a, in a comical way, what we actually mean when we make that statement to usually overindulge in something is the context we find ourselves in affects our actions, our attitudes. The scenario, the, the people, the customs, the traditions that surround us shape how we should act in a given situation. That being said, and and you will hear this several times this morning, the Bible is very clear, explicitly so, that even in light of that, we are not to obey rules or laws that contradict the Word of God or call us to actions that would go against God's commands. Hence the difficulty, isn't it, This is where we find ourselves this morning. Where does honor meet obedience? And especially as Christians who are free in Christ, how do we live as an example to a lost and dying world where these two concepts are constantly at odds with each other? And I would say even further, this is complicated when the command to honor those in authority over us comes to those who aren't very honorable themselves. And so we have a difficult task this morning. In fact, I would say a very heavy task this morning. Rarely in my preaching have I come across a passage so providentially situationally relevant than this one text for us today. With that in mind, I do want you to follow along with me. I will be reading the whole section, Second Peter, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read for us verses 13 to 17. And this is the word of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as free people, or excuse me, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised us in his word and through his providence that just as the water falls upon the earth and gives it nourishment, so too will his word nourish us today. Can we once again go to him in prayer and ask that he do that for us? Dear Heavenly Father, I admit this morning that I need you here and now. Your word often calls us to make difficult decisions To come to hard conclusions. To do things that do not seem to go toward our best interest. But Father, it is your word. Which means it is good and it is necessary. And we must follow it. Father, I pray for the understanding and the application of this passage for your people. We need to know what it means to live as Christians in a fallen world. We need to know what it means to honor and to obey a government that has been placed over us. And when is it appropriate to not do so? Lord, we need understanding on this very topic today, for it is pertinent to each of our lives. But above all else, we need you. And so I pray for your spirit to be upon us. I pray for your wisdom to flow through us. I pray that you would be glorified in what is said and what is heard. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the behalf of those who receive him by faith. Amen. For the remainder of this chapter, as well as half of chapter 3, Peter is really going to go into a a, a mini-series, if you will, uh, on submission, and he's going to cover various forms of submission uh, in our text uh, today, um, and then, Lord willing, next week, uh, submission to government authority. Uh, Then uh, the next section, the end of chapter 2, the relationship of servants to their masters. And then chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, that first section uh, is um, submission in the marriage relationship. What does that look like? And by taking the time in in the middle of this letter on holiness and on, on really strength in the time of trial and persecution... Peter will, will make the case for submission to be a normal part of the Christian life. We, we must, it's, it's vital to understand that that word is not bad. Uh, so often when we hear that word submission or authority, we automatically go on the defensive as if we have to, to only see it as a negative term. It does not, at some would wrongly translate it, it does not demote someone in value. It sometimes will change our role. It will sometimes change our position. But it never devalues someone as a person. And I say this, and I, I promise you uh, more than anyone else, I fully understand the application of our passage today and next week is very weighty. I, I, I say that with full confidence. We live in a time where evil is called good and good is called evil. And the Bible, let's be honest, the Bible does not give us explicit commands on how to set up governments and which governments are the most biblical and which governments aren't. Some would be tempted to establish a theocratic government, a church-ruled government. Uh, Please don't. Um, Or find someone with more political savvy than me. Um, I am not smart enough to do that. uh, Nor do I feel capable. I think being your pastor is plenty. And thank you for the chance to do that. But I don't see a theocracy as as the biblical solution. um, To the struggles we face with modern day governments. And so I really do believe we're to work with the systems. That we have been given. Because of this. We need to. See how can we as Christians live in this world and be avenues, be venues for change in this world, even in America and in a a representative uh, government, um, which has many different names. uh, You can uh, you can call us a, a constitutional republic. Um, you can call us a democratic constitutional republic. I I learned a lot of new words this week. Uh, But as we represent leaders who serve over us, um, as we vote for them and we put them into place, um, this system, even this system, and I think it's a good system, there is chance for it to become corrupted, for it to uh, go askew, for bad people or people with bad intentions or non-biblical intentions to get into place, to get into leadership. And so what do we do about that as people who live under this system. I can't even begin to speak in, in, the, in the frame of, of two sermons of other governments. I can only talk about the one we've been given. So what do we do? Well, I think we ask questions. I, I think the answer is we ask some very important questions, some questions of our passage this morning. Questions like this. What does it mean to submit or humble ourselves? What does doing good look like for a Christian? especially those who find themselves under pagan authority. If we are free, and truly free, as our text says, then why does it sometimes feel like we're living like slaves? And then lastly, and I would say probably the most important question, which we'll get to next week, Lord willing, what does it mean to rightly fear God while obeying the commands of this world? And that really is, is the key statement there, and the real question that we're going to have to answer. But we find ourselves in a context where Peter's writing to a group of people who were living these questions as day-to-day realities, even more so than we are now. Because of this, I want us to see three actions across two sermons to take from our passage. And as we do this, we're going to understand the answer to those questions I just asked us. And for today, let's just focus on this one question or this one action. We are called to humble ourselves in a foreign land. As believers, we are called to humble ourselves in a foreign land. We'll focus on verses 13 and 14 this morning. And then again, Lord willing, next week, we will see that we must not refrain from doing good or to state it positively, we must be people who do good in the system that we find ourselves in. That's 15 and 16, or verse 15, really. And then Thirdly, and then our final point of this series, we're going to see that we must live as free people. And ultimately, all of this must be done in service to God. And we find that in the final section. But for this morning, we will find a plenty in those first two verses and this call to humble yourselves in a foreign land. So would you dive in with me as we begin to study God's word, God's word for us this morning. And again, I want to take a moment to get a little bit more background, to really feel the weight of uh, the original audience that Peter would have been writing to. Peter is writing to a dispersed church in Asia Minor, a, a church that has been scattered because of persecution. Now, this is prior to the fall of Jerusalem. We're, we're talking somewhere around 62, 63 AD, um, 65 at the latest, but we're not at the destruction of Jerusalem, but persecution is, is bubbling, it's rising. Um, we are early in the, the, the time of, of Nero's um, kind of assault on the church, if you will. And, and his focus and, and, and the focus of the animosity in this time would have been on a particular group of people, Jewish Christians. They, of all people, would have felt the weight of the hand the heaviest for two reasons. One, as Christians, they would have been labeled radicals. They not only isolated themselves from other religions, because they believed in one God, because they believed in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, but they also put themselves at odds with the Jews, who to the Romans, the Romans would look at them and go, you both are the same people, y'all are just squabbling interiorly about minor details. You say Jesus is the Messiah. You say the Messiah hasn't come, but you're both Bible worshipers. You're both wrong, according to a Roman, at least. And so on the one hand, the Christians would be ostracized because they're troublemakers, because they rile people up. And then on the other hand, they're Jews. The Jewish people were known as troublemakers, as isolationists, as you have your practices and tell all the rest of us we're all wrong for what we believe and what we do. And so they're getting it from both sides. The Jewish Christians, um, including some Gentiles in this collection, would have been despised by the Jews and would have been despised by the greater culture. They would have received political attacks and assaults, and they would have received religious attacks and assaults. And so really everyone, it was very popular to kick a Christian in this time. And, And we know that that this happened, the the Pharisees themselves looked to the Christians and and called them radicals, called them zealots, if you will. And they, of all people, were the ones to have said, we've got it right and you are wrong. And this kind of powder keg led to everyone fearing them. Now, the Romans particularly feared them because they kept proclaiming a Messiah, a Savior to come, one who will establish a kingdom um, that will have no end. And to the Romans who wanted the greatest empire of all time, that was a bit threatening, wasn't it? That, that kind of butted up against their goal to be the greatest and have a kingdom without any end. And so we, we have to, to put that context in place to remember that the words Peter will give, he's giving to that group of people. Now, I say all of that not to make little of us applying this passage to our time today, the society we find ourselves in. I fully admit it's becoming harder and harder to live publicly as Christians in a society that openly rejects and mocks Christian values. However, we need to thank God that we're not facing the level of persecution that the early church faced yet. And and please, please hear that. We need to thank God that we're not facing the level of persecution that the early church faced yet. The positive to this, and there is a positive is the message that Peter wrote was the solution to the problem the early church was facing, which means it is also more than sufficient for the situation we find ourselves in today. Because it, it deals with a greater situation, a greater problem, it will be more than enough for us today. And we'll continue to do so as the world rejects Christ, and it does begin to look more and more like the early century. And so I, I, just, I, I challenge us in that, and I also encourage us in that, that God's word is sufficient, um, and it is good. And when Peter wrote this, he's writing it under very dire circumstances. And it's within that context, as our background, that Peter writes these words. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Wait a minute. Hold on now. Wait a minute, Peter. You're talking about Nero here. You're talking about someone who openly rejects the church and Christianity. You're talking about someone who, who pushes his agenda against us. We're already being scattered and I don't think they could foresee the destruction of Jerusalem, but will it just in a short time take it to the degree of that? You can, you can almost hear the complaints. You can almost feel the, the, the tension being set as, as he makes this statement, but there he stands. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, Your Bible may translate this a little differently. I've read probably 14 translations this week. um, And they all are very similar in this. But yours may say, submit yourself, um, humble yourself um, for the Lord's sake to every human, maybe authority or maybe ordinance of man. There's, There's a lot of little pieces, Lego ways you can get to this statement. But... If you go to the Greek, um, which I I often don't encourage, um, because that is an act of sanctification in and of itself, there's a word at the center of this, and that word is hupotasso. Hupotasso is that word submit or humble or yield or subject. And in the Greek, it means either, if you're speaking militarily, to denote placing troops under the leadership or headship of another, so a ranking, or, if you're meaning it generally, voluntarily cooperating and sharing a burden with someone else. And so that word, hupotasso, either means to rank oneself in a military setting or to voluntarily, voluntarily submit yourself to one another, sharing a burden. So that is, is, is the word that Peter puts before us. Now, the reason that this is a two-part sermon and I fully admit this, is we're going to spend the rest of the morning on this one section. We're not really even going to get out of verse 13 because if we can't define our terms, we can't apply it to our situation. We will spend most of the rest of our time this morning looking at these three sections. What does it mean to be subject to? What does it mean to be subject to for the Lord's sake? And what does it mean to be subject to for the Lord's sake every human institution? Because we can't really translate or apply that without rightly understanding each of these sections and what they mean for us today. And so we really are going to weigh heavily upon defining terms. That being said, this will be a lot of information. And then, then Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll really dive into application and, and, and situation um, but even then, I, I think there's application to be found in explaining what is going on. So let's, let's really dive in to each of these. Be subject or submit. Um, I can't read any um, Bible um, commentary without going to Matthew Henry. Um, he is one of my first stops. Um, I, I love his, his um, Puritan mind. And he says this of that, sen- of that section. The duty required is submission. "...which comprises loyalty and reverence to their person, obedience to their just laws and commands, and subjection to legal penalties." So again, Matthew Henry's defining humility or subjection as this. "...submission, which comprises loyalty and reverence to their persons, obedience to their just laws and commands, and subjection to legal penalties." If you scan the Bible, you will quickly find that this idea, this concept of submission is all over the place. It it, it really is and truly is a a biblical concept. Um, One place that goes to mind is Jesus in Luke 2. This is the story where um, Jesus is is presented at the temple. Remember, I think he's around 10 or 11 years old. um, And the family leaves, um, but Jesus stays and he's found teaching in the temple. Um, and three days journey, uh, Mary and Joseph leave, and they find he's missing, so they come back. And like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, I've got to be in my father's house. And um, you can kind of feel that weight if, if that's ever happened to you. Um, I'm, I'm the oldest of three. My middle brother's named Adam. Um, you, I hope you don't know this, but some of you might. Uh, the universal code for a lost child is code Adam. Um, we know that because in a Walmart once, he hid in one of the clothes racks and would not come out. And so they declared code Adam, and all of these people came, locked the doors to that Walmart, and went around shouting, code Adam, and where is Adam? And that scared him, and we didn't find him for an hour. You can feel Mary's potential weight as code Adam was declared on Jesus. It's a lockdown, it's a let's find this child, and where else would I be but in my father's house? But there's something interesting in that section, toward the end, where Jesus submitted to the will of his parents. And it says Mary treasured these things in her heart. He did what was right, he did what he had to do, and yet that section ends in Luke 2 with he submitted to them, as she called him home, and he and she treasured that up in her heart. In Ephesians, Ephesians 5, a beautiful section, um, a wedding section. I've heard this quite often in, in, in marriage ceremonies. Um, the church is called to submit to Christ. As wives are to their husbands. The, the marriage relationship is, is one of submission. And, and we're called. And it's a heavy calling for us men. Um, husbands, submit to the Lord. Sacrifice. Offer yourself for them as Christ did for the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For it is good. In a few weeks, Lord willing, we'll, we'll go to 1 Peter. Um, toward verses 18 and following. Where servants or slaves, you could translate it, are to submit to their masters. And, and there's going to be a, a particularly challenging uh, passage to translate because Peter says whether they are just or unjust. And he leaves it there. And so we'll see what the Lord does when we get to there. But this idea of submission, this, this idea of humbling oneself, of voluntarily sharing the burden of someone else, as Matthew Henry stated it, is all across The scriptures. But we have to qualify that. There's a lot of qualifications this morning. When we're dealing with the concept of submission, especially to those in authority over us, and in Peter's passage, government authorities, it only goes so far as the Bible allows. The Bible puts a very heavy qualification on this. They cannot or must not promote, or you cannot or must not submit to acts of sin. I love how Paul puts it in Galatians 1, stating in Galatians 1, 8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Go to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false. Excuse me, thou shalt not bear false witness. All of them, listening them out. We are not to engage in sin. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, the first half, is all about who we are in Christ, that we're called holy and that we're called to be holy. And so we must not... No matter who tells us, Paul even saying, if I, even if I tell you, or an angel from heaven comes down and tells you to do something contrary to what we've preached, do not let it be so. Because the reality is, while Peter is very short in his words, submit or be subject to, there are times when the right thing to do is not submit. When the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1 are told to murder the Jewish boys. Or murder the Jewish children. They do not submit. Why? Because it says they feared the Lord. Because they feared the Lord, they did not submit to Pharaoh. And the Lord blessed them, and the Lord blessed the Jewish people. We could also go to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. They refused to submit. When the trumpet and the lyre and the harp and all of the instruments were played, everyone was to turn in a certain direction to face the, the statue um, placed of the king, and they were to bow down and they were to worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. Now their case is of is, is particular interest because they did so in a way that was respectful, didn't they? They said no, but then when they approached the king, they said, O king... We respect you, but we will not bow down to this false idol. And it doesn't matter if you kill us, if you don't, if God delivers us or if he doesn't, we're not going to worship this false god. But they did so in in a way that brought honor to the situation. And I assume their prayer was that the emperor would see the fault of his ways and be converted. And we know through that story that the Lord does bring understanding to that king's eyes. Make In fact, making Christianity the official religion of the region. The Bible makes it plain in these examples and others. We must not allow sin into our lives, even when it comes to submitting to those over us. None of these passages, or you could also go to Romans 13, a great parallel to this one, neither of these give us the ability, the authority, or the command to obey sinful commands. We must not, in fact. And then you may find yourself asking, well, what is the role of the government? What what does that or what should that look like? And and Peter gives us a pretty good definition um, if you look on down in verse 14. The government, the authoritative role that they've been given is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. To put it differently, to punish sin and to promote or uphold biblical righteousness. Isn't that an interesting thought for our government? Isn't that, an, that should be our prayer. If you find yourself praying for our government, you really want to pray for them, here's your prayer. Oh God, may they uphold biblical righteousness and may they cast down sinful actions. Thoughts and deeds. Because when you pray that, you know what you're really praying is save every one of them. Put all of them in your hands. And may they trust in you and you alone. Because that's the only way they're going to be able to do that which they have been called to do. And let's go back to our Jews. Let's, let's go back to our, our situation. Think about where they find themselves in in that powder keg we talked about earlier. As they did submit, as they did follow Peter's command here, to submit in reverence, what were they doing? They were showing to those in authority over them that they weren't crazy zealots, that they weren't there to bring down Rome, that they weren't going to take over the kingdom. What they wanted was people to worship the one and true God. What they wanted was people to see what it's like to trust in and rest in the Savior. And if you've been around any length of time and you've been with me, I will tell you this book is for your good. The best life you can live, the the best life you can have here and now is to submit yourself fully and completely to this book. And so for the Jews of their time, the Jewish Christians of their time, what they were saying is, submit yourself to this book. Now, did that look like defiance? It did at times. Did that look like disobedience? It did at times. But even in that, what they were ultimately doing, and hopefully with the right heart, is saying I'm not going to obey because you need this more than you need my obedience right now. You need this. And if that's what it's going to take, I will not yield. I will not submit to sin. But I wish and I pray that you do not as well. And sometimes it is called to us to do that very same. Now, I warn you, Christian, what I'm telling you may very well be your death sentence. Just to, just to lay it out there. I, I, I can't put it any other way. I can't sugarcoat it any other way. When Calvin trained French ministers and sent them back to France during the time of the Reformation, he was sending them to their death. And yet, he would say and they would say that it was well worth it. Because submission to this book and submission to God and submission to God's word and God's law is well worth the sacrifice. As we are in the month of celebrating the Protestant Reformation and we look at those forerunners, we look at Wycliffe, we look at Tyndale, we look at Huss, we look at all of those people who were taken to the stake, who were burned alive, who were killed for their beliefs. Why? Because they translated the Bible. Why? Because they stood against the rules and practices of their time. Why? Because they said, above all else, this truth must stand. And so I fully admit to you, dear brothers and sisters, what I'm asking you to do today may be to die. Or better still, what the Bible is calling you to do very well may be to die for your beliefs. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it, and it may be necessary. That being said, we're not called to submit blindly. We're told, so submission, our first section, to do so for the Lord's sake. Submission is a biblical concept. We only have to go to Jesus to see how and why submission is for the Lord's sake. Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus in the garden, some of his final hours before the cross, finds himself praying these words, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus prayed with God, if you can, If there's any other way, take this cup from me. He knew what he was facing. He knew what was ahead. He knew what God was calling him to do. And in the very same breath, almost as if there's a comma there, not a period, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. It was for the Lord's sake that Jesus submitted himself unto death. For that's what happened, wasn't it? That's what the Romans tried and convicted him of. Disturbance of the peace. The Jews, blasphemy against the sovereign Lord. Jesus came and submitted himself to the Father. And so too are we called to submit for the Lord's sake. I believe, and I I hope that you believe in a sovereign God. A sovereign God that has a sovereign plan. And the Lord has used very strange methods throughout history, biblical history, to accomplish his purposes. I mean, you cannot convince me that the best way to take down a tower is to get some pots and trumpets, march around it seven times, and then on the seventh time, smash your pot and blow your horn. You cannot convince me from a, from a practical standpoint, unless some of you engineers started talking about the structural integrity and the frequency of the horn at that time and the smashing of the pot, and it just weakened the structure. And if you, you might could get me down that path. But otherwise, you cannot tell me that logically that's the best consequence. You you cannot tell me that the most logical thing to do when the most powerful army of the world is pursuing you is run to the shore of a great sea. You can't convince me that logically that's the best thing to do. You, you, You cannot convince me logically that the best thing to do when you're facing a trial for your beliefs as Stephen was that you preach the very gospel that got you there in the first place. You can't convince me logically that that's the best thing to do. They put you there because you were preaching this gospel, and then you preach it to them. You preach it at them, really. Logically, there's a lot of things that we would say, practically speaking, that we would come to the conclusion there's no way that's the best course of action, but biblically, we have to find ourselves saying, your will, not mine, be done because it is for the Lord's sake and it, his will will be accomplished. Now, you might find yourself saying, Aaron, that's, that's good and all, but that's an unfair comparison. You're asking me to submit to a government which isn't always righteous, which isn't always holy, and Jesus only had to submit to the Father who's perfect and good and always right, and his decisions are always for the best. And I am. I, I, I really and truly am. Or Peter is. Because in our third section, we are to submit or humble ourselves for the Lord's sake to whom? To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now, remember, who is he talking about? Nero. Hear me there. Who is Peter talking about right now? Nero. And so if you can convince me that Nero was a good king and a just in his rules and in his laws and in what, how he led the people and still hear Peter say this and I will, I will submit, I will correct it next week um, and, and part two will look very different than part one. However, if you read history, um, you're going to be hard-pressed to do that. In fact, here's what Calvin says to this very difficult statement. The meaning of this is this. Obedience is due to all who rule, because they've been raised to that honor not by chance, but by God himself. For many are wont to inquire too scrupulously by what right power has been attained. But we ought to be satisfied with this alone, that power is possessed and exercised. And so, and he's paralleling this with Romans 13. And so Paul cuts off the handle of useless objections when he declares there is no power but that which comes from God. And for this reason, it is that scripture often says, it is God who girds kings with a sword, who raises them on high and transfers kingdoms as he pleases. Peter is making it clear for us that it is in all authority, from local governors to the emperor himself, that we are to submit ourselves unto. Because ultimately, it is God who has put them in that position. In fact, the the Bible calls them ministers. Ministers you want to read something challenging, you should read it as it's originally intended. We are to pray for those ministers over us. And he calls that's what he calls governors and leaders. Now, <laughs> sometimes that's done for our judgment. You only have to go to Saul in the Old Testament. We want a king, we want a king, we want to be like the world. And God says, okay, you can have a king and you can be just like the world. And he was handsome and he was fierce and no one that was alive was quite like him. And what did he do? He drove them from their God and brought them on the brink of destruction. And so I I cannot tell you that every time God puts someone in authority over us and puts them in a position of authority, that we'll be blessed. Now, we will be blessed because we'll be humbled. I think of the times that Israel was put in captivity and and into exile um, in in Babylon and, and as they had people overtake them for their sin So you may find yourself out of time. You may find yourself, I <laughs> told you it's going to be a two-part sermon, saying that this is not fair. And I'll just, I'll end with this. You may find yourself this morning saying it's not fair. You're calling me to do something I simply can't do. You're calling me to do something that the text is not calling me to do, and I'd love to discuss that with you. It's not fair that we have to submit ourselves to people who aren't just, who aren't righteous, who aren't upholding that which is biblically good and and shutting down that which is biblically evil. But the fact is it isn't fair. The fact that Rome tried, convicted, and crucified an innocent man wasn't fair. The fact that Jesus died as a sacrifice when we deserve the wrath of God is not fair. The fact that we now have a relationship with the Father through the Son is not fair. I tell you this this morning to protect you, please don't go down the fairness road because if you really want fair, you're going to get judgment. You're going to get judgment because you deserve it, because I deserve it. Instead of fair, let's go down the grace and mercy road. God, how about you give me what I don't deserve? How about you be good to me despite my circumstances? How about you bless me and enrich me despite who I am, despite how I, what I've done? And if that's to send us to Babylon, then so be it. Send us to Babylon, God. If that's to march us to our very deaths, then march us to our very deaths, O oh God, because your will will be done. And I, I said I would end there, but I'm sorry. I've I, I got to give you some application points. It can't be all description. Um, just bear with me just a second. I apologize profusely. Three things this morning. I do want to leave you with application because this is very heavy. One, submission is not a bad thing. It is biblical and it's good. We all submit in some way or another. two, I do not believe that Scripture is calling us to just sit back and take injustice. Please do not hear me and apply this as I am a pacifist and think that we cannot or should not act upon this world. We should be and we must be raising godly men and women to put them into place of political positions of authority so that they may rightly govern and rule this world in us, that they may promote that which is good, and that they may shut down that which is sinful. We have a responsibility as Christians to fight for that, for the sake of our dear brothers and sisters, and for the benefit of our country. And then three, all of this is for the Lord's sake. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear, all of this is done for the Lord's sake. We serve a victorious God. He is on the throne. Suffer as we will for a short while. It will all quickly pass. I frequently pray for the return of Christ for this simple reason. I look forward to being in a kingdom where decisions are made and I don't have to second guess them. I don't have to wonder, is that a good decision or not? I don't have to weigh it against God's word and say, should I follow it? Should I not? Because I'm as tired as you are. I, I, pr- I promise you that having to think and, and consider and, and, and second guess and, and weigh and contemplate everything that's said and everything that's done, but know, dear Christian, that the end of that is coming. We will quickly be in a kingdom where that's not the worry. And our greatest concern will be how can we glorify God today with my brothers and sisters in one accord, in full agreement. Until then, may Christ's return be swift, may you be steadfast, and may us suffer this world together, dear brothers and sisters. They need us, and we need each other. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the patience of your people. This is a very heavy word. This is a passage that directly applies to the current political climate that we find ourselves in. Lord, there are many ways to interpret this passage, and I've seen most of them this week. I pray that what I have said this morning is is of you and not of me. I pray that it will be for your people's good, and if I've said anything that is wrong or untrue, then take it from them. Take it from their memory. May they not forget it or remember it as they leave this place. Lord, above all else, we need each other. We need the church. We need fellow Christians. We need to suffer together. No matter where you place us, we will suffer. And oh, may we strive with all that we have to promote you in this world, to make change, to make decisions, to put those in leadership that will rightly govern and care for those that are sick and lost and hurting. But even when that does not happen, help us as the church to rise up and do that which we are to do. Because you've called us to love sacrificially, even to the point of giving up our lives. And ultimately, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the chief and primary example of that for us. Lord, be with us now as we are assured of this when we come and partake of this sacrament ahead. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.